All right, well, good morning. It is uh, great to see all of you here today at Grace Church. So glad that you're able to be with us in the second week of a series that we started last week that we are calling You Are Here. And so like uh, Colin and DJ just mentioned a moment ago, if you happen to be a guest with us today, if it's your first time at Grace Church, man, we just want to extend a very, very special welcome to you. Thanks so much for being our guest. We, uh, we actually count it an absolute joy that you would choose to spend some time with us. So we hope you feel welcome uh, because you are welcome. Uh, but if you are a guest or, or maybe if you missed last week, which you might not know, is that uh, this series we started last week called You Are Here is really, really kind of our way to do something that's a little bit advantageous. And so what we're doing in this series is we are actually trying to do a series that overviews the entire Bible. That's what we're actually trying to do. And, uh, and basically what we're trying to do in this series is we're trying to get a big picture of what the Bible teaches. And the reason that we're doing this, if you happened to be with us last week, is we said the reason we're doing this is because that, you know, my guess is that probably all of us in this room are somewhat familiar with Bible stories, right? So maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you didn't grow up in the church. But my guess is that all of us are somewhat familiar, at least to some extent, with some Bible stories, right? So maybe you've heard the Bible story about David and Goliath, or maybe you've heard the Bible story about Jonah and the fish, or maybe you've read the Bible account about Jesus walking on water. And my guess is some of us know more Bible stories than others do, and some of us maybe only know a few, but I think all of us might be familiar with Bible stories. But here's what we said last week. We said that quite honestly, many of us might not be familiar with the Bible story. Uh, and basically we said, but to understand the Bible as a collection of a bunch of unrelated different stories is not the best way to think of the Bible. We said that to view the Bible as basically a compendium of a bunch of different stories, each that has their own uh, kind of you know, storyline, has its own hero. We said it's actually the wrong way to understand the Bible. We said the best way to understand the Bible is that really is one consistent, unified story. And so in this series, that's what we're trying to do. From Genesis to Revelation, what is the overarching meta-narrative? What is the story of the Bible? What is that? Who is the hero of the Bible? And how do we kind of understand that together? So that's what we're doing over the course of these several weeks. In fact, last week, if you were here, you might remember, we actually gave you a roadmap. And we said, you know, if you, if you wanna get a big picture of the Bible and you wanna orient yourself to that, we said one good way to think of it might be like this. And so we said, here it is, kind of in a summary statement. You could kind of think of a, this as like a roadmap. We said that there's really like 10 mile markers that tell the unified story of the Bible. And basically, here's what it is. The Bible's gonna tell us that God creates, we rebel, God promises, we wander, God builds, we destroy. The Father sends, the Son rescues, the Spirit indwells, and God reigns. And we said, so there you have in 10 very simple statements, basically a map and an overview of the entire story of the Bible. And here's what we said last week, and this is why this is so important. We think this series is so important. We said when we rightly orient ourselves to this roadmap, and when we locate ourselves within this story and within this big picture, we said that it's there that that will impact the way that we view ourselves, that we view the world, that we view others, and the way we view God. 
And we said, when we rightly orient ourselves to this, it has the power to utterly transform our worldview, the way we view everything. And so that's why we're doing this series. It's of utmost importance. And so for the next 10 weeks, what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be journeying through these 10 mile markers together. And my hope is that by the end of this, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're investigating that, that you will have a comprehensive understanding of what the big story of the Bible is, that you will be able to know it, that you'll be able to live it, to orient yourself within it, and then even to be able to give it away, to articulate this to other people and to help them kind of process through that together. So that's what we're gonna do. So like I said, if you're a guest or this is your first week here, you really also came on an awesome week, even though you missed last week's introduction, because today we're gonna start on mile marker number one, and we're gonna talk about how God creates. So that's where we're gonna start. In fact, if you're a person that's investigating grace and you're trying to figure out if this is the church for you, I would actually encourage you maybe to consider locking in for the next 10 weeks as we get a chance to overread this Bible. That'll give you a chance to hear the conversation from front to end. But here's what we're gonna look at today with the rest of our time. We're gonna talk about this first mile marker, where the journey begins is here. And it begins with creation. God creates. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and get it out. And let me make it super easy on you, okay? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis chapter 1 is found on page, tell me, 1. All right, super easy. So even if you're not a Bible person or whatever, everyone can find this. So you don't even need to go to the table of contents. Just Genesis 1. Uh, go ahead and open it up. Page 1 is where you're going to go. Um, and if you do not have a Bible in the Bibles in the chairs in front of you, uh, or underneath you, Genesis 1, page 1 is where you're going to find that. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of ours. We'd love for you to have a Bible. Okay, so Genesis 1. Now, as you're finding Genesis chapter 1, what you might not know is that the word Genesis actually comes from a Greek word, which means origins. That's what Genesis means. It means origins, or it means beginnings. So quite literally, the first book of the Bible is the book of beginnings. It's the book of our origins. And, and here's the thing about Genesis, and this might, this might go, without, go without saying, uh, but I think it's really important to understand that Genesis is incredibly foundational, specifically the first few chapters of Genesis are critically foundational. Um, it is very, 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 very difficult to understand the rest of your Bible without understanding the starting point, without understanding where everything begins, without orienting yourself to the origin of this story, okay? The opening chapters of Genesis are going to do something of incalculable importance because here's what they're going to do. They are going to lay down the basis of a biblical worldview, Genesis is going to introduce us. It's gonna introduce us to our meaning. It's gonna introduce us to our purpose. It's gonna introduce us to our value. And it's gonna do that in a very, very profound way. In fact, what Genesis is gonna do, specifically the first couple of chapters, is it's gonna orient us to some very significant realities about who we are and about where we came from. In fact, there's three things in particular Genesis is gonna introduce us to. Now, there's so much we could say about Genesis chapter one, but for our time, I wanna just talk about three things that I believe Genesis is introducing us to. And here's what they are. So this is what we're gonna talk about for the rest of our time. Genesis is gonna introduce us, first and foremost, to God, okay, to God. And then it's gonna introduce us to stuff. Turn to your neighbor and say stuff. Stuff, we're gonna talk about stuff today, there you go. Um, and then it's gonna introduce us to us. And Genesis is gonna do, is gonna introduce us to these things in this order. Okay, so God, stuff, 
and us. That's what we're going to talk about. So let's just start at the top. Genesis 1 is first and foremost going to introduce us to God, to God. Now, what's interesting, um, if, you, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, if you just glance down and you look at the first four words of your Bible, it will say this. It says, in the beginning, God. All right, so let's just go ahead and pause there. Uh, as you can see, we're not going to get super far here today. Uh, but in the beginning, God. Now, these, these four words right here, as simple as that might sound, open up a limitless amount of possibilities about the nature of the universe and the nature of reality. There is so much that is contained in these first four words. Now, this might seem really basic, but I want you to understand, Genesis begins with God. Okay, this is huge. The reason this is so important is because our, listen, our origin story does not begin with us. And our origin story does not begin with the universe. Our origin story begins with God. And so what the Bible is, whatever it is, it is at least this. It is a story about God. Now, it involves us. It includes us. But it's actually not about us. It's about God. In the beginning, God. And what's also significant, I want you to notice, is it doesn't say, in the beginning, the gods. All right, now, let me just say, this would have actually been uh, something that would have been paradigm shifting for the original readers of the book of Genesis. And the reason is because back in that time, and even today, there was many worldviews and religions who basically asserted and assumed a polytheistic worldview, which said that basically there was a bunch of gods, that the reason that everything exists is because there was a bunch of gods that were at war with each other. Genesis says something different. It says, in the beginning, God. It also doesn't say this. It doesn't say, in the beginning, God was created. Genesis doesn't start that way either. Here's what's interesting about Genesis. Genesis does not begin by trying to somehow argue the existence of God. Now, that's not a problem because throughout the Bible, there's going to be a lot of evidences that are given for the existence of God. But Genesis doesn't begin there. Our beginning does not begin with the beginning of God. The beginning assumes that God has always been there, that God is eternal, that God always was and always has been. And so it's going to say, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, what this is doing, again, four very simple words, but this is introducing us to an incredibly powerful truth claim that the Bible is going to continue to reinforce all throughout the rest of the story. And what is that truth claim? Well, he here it is right here. Genesis 1 is introducing us to the reality that God is ultimate reality. God is ultimate reality. Now, let me just ask you a question real quick. How many of you are familiar with that term, ultimate reality? You've heard it before, the term ultimate reality. Okay, a few of you have. If you've never heard of that term before, it basically is a term that's commonly used by physicists, cosmologists, and philosophers. And the definition of ultimate reality, I'll just give it to you, this is from an online dictionary from Merriam-Webster. It is something that is the supreme, final, and fundamental power in all of reality. So, so this is every worldview, every belief system, whether you're aware of it or not, everyone believes that there is an ultimate reality. Basically, the ultimate reality is the thing that's behind everything. That's what the ultimate reality is. It is the thing that is eternal. It is the, or it is the, the purpose behind everything that is. So I'll give you an example of this. So let's just say, for illustration's sake, I was to ask you, uh, this television screen right here, okay, this, this TV screen. If I said, so um, can you just tell me what, where, what are the origins of this television screen? Where, what was it derived from? You'd probably tell me, well, it was, it was created in a factory. 
I'd probably say, yeah, that's, that, that, that's true. Uh, but where, where, did, where did it come from? You would say, well, there's a, I don't know, there's a bunch of stuff in that TV screen. So, you know, I don't know, there's, there's different components. Maybe one of them is glass, potentially. So you'd say there's glass. And I was okay, let's just go with that. Where did the glass come from? Where was the, gla- what was the glass derived from? You would say, well, I don't, I don't know. I guess glass is, uh, comes from sand. They, they heat up sand and liquefy it, and they make glass to the best of my knowledge. And if I said, okay, that's great, where did the sand come from? You would say, well, why are you asking me all these dumb questions, right? <laughs> but I was like, let's just keep going. I said, where, where did the sand come from? And you say, well, I don't know, rocks and minerals, you know, pulverized by the ocean over long periods of time or something like that. Great, where did the rocks and minerals come from? You would say, they came from the earth. And if I said, where did the earth come from? You'd say, I don't know the universe. There was a, a big bang or something. We, no one really knows exactly, but something happened and it's all here. Where did that come from? Now, you see what I'm saying? You can play this game and you can just say, what's behind that and what's behind that and what's behind that and what's behind that. Every worldview is eventually gonna run into an ultimate reality. Something that is eternal, something that is beyond all of those things. All right? Now, without getting too in the weeds here, there, there historically, there historically has only been two, two views of ultimate reality, historically, all right? This is overly simplistic, and I don't want to get too into it, but here are the two basic views. Number one is that scientists and cosmologists have said that the universe is ultimate reality. The universe is ultimate reality. In other words, everything that's created is derived from the universe, okay? So that's ultimate reality theory number one. The second one is this. It is that something else created the universe. Something or someone else created the universe. That the universe is not eternal, but the universe had a beginning and that there's something that's behind that. There's something that's behind that. Now, here's what I find so fascinating and here's why I show this to you. is because for most of modern history, in fact, from the time of Aristotle, uh, it has been commonly accepted and believed that the universe is ultimate reality. Even Einstein, you guys might notice, Einstein believed this. He believed that, that, that the universe was eternal and was ultimate reality. And everyone believed that. That was the consensus view until 1927. So in 1927, along comes this Belgium uh, cosmologist and priest, and he suggests something called the Big Bang Theory. Maybe you guys are familiar with the Big Bang Theory. Uh, I'm not talking about the popular television show. <laughs> Uh, I'm talking about this Big Bang Theory, the one where basically there's an expanding universe that had some type of origin. And the Big Bang Theory basically implies that the universe had a beginning. Now, here's what I find so interesting. is in 1927, when this, was first, uh, when this was first kind of suggested as a theory, it was vehemently opposed by the atheistic scientific community. And the reason was because they said it gave too much validity to the biblical narrative in Genesis chapter 1. Now, all that to say this, that now cosmologists and scientists would all say, unanimously would say, that they agree that the universe is not eternal, that there is something more ultimate than the universe itself. And all I'm telling you is Genesis would agree with that. And Genesis would tell you that in the beginning, God, that there is an ultimate reality, and that ultimate reality is God himself. And not only that, the Bible's gonna say, in the beginning, God, and then look at this, it's gonna say, in the beginning, God created God created the heavens and the earth. And again, this might sound super simple, but what Genesis is doing is it's introducing us to God, not just as ultimate reality, but it's also introducing us to a God who is the creator. God is creator. That everything that we know and everything we see, 
comes from the mind and the power and the impetus behind all of that is God himself. That's what Genesis is gonna teach us. And what's fascinating is when you read the rest of the Genesis account, you'll see that everything is created because of God's will, so because God wanted it to be, and because of God's word, because God said it to be. In fact, I want you to notice if you just, you have your Bible open, if you just glance at Genesis, just glance at it, and we're not gonna read the whole thing, but if you look at Genesis one from afar, so if you just kind of hold it back, you will notice that Genesis has a very unique structure to it. There are certain things that are repeated over and over again. It's almost a rhythmic, repetitive, almost a poetic expression of creation in Genesis chapter one. And one of the things that you'll see repeated over and over again is that with each progressive step of creation, it's going to say, and God said. And so in verse three and in verse six and in verse nine and verse 11 and verse 14 and verse 20, 24, 26, 29, and God said each successive step, and God said, let there be light. And then it's gonna say, and it was so. And then God said, let there be a vault. And it was so. And then God said, and then God said. In other words, Genesis is saying that God is creator and everything is created by his will because he wanted it to be there and by his word because he spoke it into existence. Now, I'm just telling you, this is consistent throughout all of the Bible. I'll just give you a couple other passages here. Hebrews 11.3 says this. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then it goes on in Revelation chapter four, verse 11. It says, worthy are you, O Lord and uh, God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they existed and they were created. So in other words, everything exists because God wanted it to and because God spoke it into existence. I, I absolutely love the way that the gospel of John says it. The gospel of John talking about creation it actually says something really cool. Here's what it says. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now I know at first glance, if you've never read this passage before, that can seem really confusing. In the beginning was the word and the word, what is that talking about? But what's so interesting to me, and I think that this is very profound, what's so interesting is that the term word that John uses here in the original Greek language is the word logos in the Greek. So logos is actually where we get our English word logic from. And basically what logos means is it is expressed intelligence. And so here's what John says. He says, in the beginning, there was the expressed intelligence. There was logic. And he says, and the logic, the expressed intelligence was with God. And the expressed intelligence, the logic was God. In other words, what John is doing here is he is declaring that God is the logical mind that's behind all of creation. Like I think all of us understand this. Words, whether spoken, like I'm speaking right now, or written, convey information and they convey logic. And information and logic are not material. They are immaterial. There's a mind that's behind them. There's a logic that's behind them. And here, what he's saying is he is saying that in the beginning was the word and the words was God, the logic and the information. And he's saying that was God. Words imply a logical mind. That might sound super abstract. So let me see if I can kind of uh, give you a little illustration to make it a little more concrete. So I want you to imagine with me for a minute, you're driving on the road. 
all right? And let's just say uh, you're driving on River Sticks here in Medina. Is anyone familiar with River Sticks here in Medina? Okay, great. Uh, if you're familiar with that road, you've seen this sign uh, multiple times on River Sticks. I don't even know how many times, hundreds of times on River Sticks, right? Deer Crossing. Now, the reason you see the sign on River Sticks is because the deer in Medina are nuts. They're crazy around here. When my wife and I moved to Medina, I, had, I don't think we had ever seen that many deer in our whole life. Uh, no joke, just, this was actually just last year. We were driving down River Sticks, and there was a bunch of deer crossing the road, so we stopped the car. And no joke, a deer hit our van, like full force, ran into the side of our van. So we didn't hit a deer, a deer hit us. And I was like, I hope he has insurance. Because, you know, it's not good. And uh, I was like, go home, deer, you're drunk. And it was, uh, but anyway, deer are nuts. That's completely unrelated to my illustration. All right, so anyway, you're driving down River Sticks. Let's say you see this sign, deer crossing. Now, you're going to read that. You're going to see there's a picture. And then you have right here, you have eight letters, two words, eight letters. But these eight letters, these two words, when you see these, you automatically are assuming that there had to have been some kind of logical mind behind that. There had to have been. Right? If you saw that sign, you wouldn't think, huh, that's kind of coincidental, that sign's there. No, you would think, no, there's, there's a logic, there's a mind. Someone was behind that sign. In fact, I think this is so cool. Last night at the 515 service, I was talking about this, and afterwards, a guy came up to me. His name was Andy. And he said, I am the logical mind behind those signs. I said, you are? He said, yeah, I'm the county engineer. He said, I'm the one that decides and puts all of those up. I said, so you're the guy. I said, you're the logic behind the sign. He said, yes. I said, I gotta ask, how do you determine where those signs go? He said, well, wherever there's a lot of deer crossing, we'll put them up. <laughs> I was like, all right, it's fine. <laughs> and he said, no, he said, we actually look at traffic patterns and we count dead deer. I said, you have a crazy job, man. So anyway, so next time you see this sign, say, thank you, Andy, for looking out for me. Thanks, Andy. So Andy, if you're listening on the podcast, thank you. I appreciate that. So, so deer crossing, right? So there's eight letters, deer exiting. Now, here's, here's one of the great ironies of science in my mind, is that we have lived in our lifetime to see uh, the Human Genome Project. And we have discovered the longest word that we have ever seen. I don't know if you know this, but the human genetic code is 3.5 billion letters long. 3.5 billion letters of what? Of information, of logic, of logic. And here's the great irony, is that a person can drive down the street and they can see a sign with eight letters on it and they can automatically, immediately infer intelligent input. And that same person can go into a lab and they can look at the genetic code and they can say chance and laws of nature. And Genesis is gonna say, no. Genesis is gonna tell us that God is the creator, that he spoke everything by his word, that he, that listen, the universe bears evidence of being the result of an intelligent mind. If you think about it, mathematics, cosmology, the genetic code, all of these things, what are they? They are decoding information. They are looking at logic that is embedded in all of creation. We are just trying to catch up to what God said. So Genesis 1 is gonna tell us God is ultimate reality. God is creator. But then here's maybe the most profound of everything that Genesis is teaching us about God. And that's that this God is personal. He's personal. That this is so mind-blowing. That ultimate reality and that the creator, the power behind, and the force behind all of creation is a person, is a person. 
This is remarkable. I want you to notice in Genesis 1, again, if you glance down at your Bible, there are over and over again certain actions and attributes that are attributed to God. And so it's gonna say, God said, God said, God said, God saw, God saw, God saw, God saw, God made, God made, God made, God called, God named, God blessed, God gave, God rested. What are all these things? These are the actions of a person, not an impersonal force, a person, a person. In Genesis 2, what do you see? You see God interacting with humankind. They're dialoguing. And what is this telling us? It's telling us something profound. It's saying God is personal. He is not an impersonal force. I think what this means is that we, um, we really need to try to get away from uh, Star Wars theology. You guys know what I mean by that? Where basically we view God as like an impersonal force. And, and the reason that that's so dangerous to view God as an impersonal force is because impersonal forces are things that we can leverage for our advantage. All right, so let's just say, for example, I'll give you an illustration on this. I actually got this illustration from Dan Miller. Um, and he got it from somebody else and he couldn't remember who it was. So I don't know who to give credit to. So I'll just take credit. I came up with this the other day <laughs> on my own, but uh, no. So, um, all right, so let's just say I have this tablecloth and I wanted to fold it. All right, now I have lived here on this planet long enough to know how gravity works. And so I know that if I wanna fold this blanket, I can leverage the impersonal force of gravity to help me with this. Okay, so, so I'm just gonna go ahead and use gravity I'm gonna do my best to fold this tablecloth, all right? So, I'm gonna use, see, I'm using gravity. I got it held by the corners. Gravity's gonna help me use my chin, too. Gravity in my chin. And uh, I'm gonna fold it up this way. I'm gonna throw it, because that's the thing I can do with gravity, I've learned. And, uh, and I'm gonna get this thing all folded up this way. All right, and I did an okay job folding this using the force of gravity. But here's the thing. Gravity's an impersonal force. Okay, gravity's not gonna say anything. It's not gonna see anything. It's not gonna make anything, at least not purposefully. It's not gonna name anything, it's not gonna bless, it's not gonna give, it's not gonna rest. It's just, it just is, it just is. And the Bible's saying God's not like that. Okay, he's not an impersonal force. Now let's compare that with, let's just say we're talking about a person. All right, so let me just ask real quick, is there anyone out there who would be kind enough to come up here and help me fold this, this tablecloth? Anyone, okay, you wanna come up and help me fold this tablecloth? Awesome, fantastic, why don't you come on up here? Okay, yeah, you wanna give me a high five? Do you want to tell everybody real quick what your name is as well? Haley. Okay, this is Haley, and you're going to help me fold this. Are you pretty good at folding stuff? Yeah. Okay, awesome. So I'm going to take these corners here, and I want you to take those two corners over there. Can you do that? Okay. All right, now, Haley, you got to tell me, what do you want to do? Should we go this way, or should we meet in the middle? You want to meet in the middle? Okay, let's do that. So I'll take these two, and then you want to take the bottom half. Oops, I'm really bad at this. There we go. Okay, there you go. You wanna take the bottom part there. There we go. All right, now what do you think we should do? Should we go, okay, go do it again? This way, which way? You wanna to come to, okay, this way? Okay, let's do that. We'll grab this. All right, now what do you wanna do? In the middle? Okay, and then what should we do next? All right, you got it. Right, how about you grab it? You can take care of it from there. I'll rest, and you got it. <laughs> Fantastic. Excellent. Haley, you did an awesome job. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Very good. Okay, so kind of a silly analogy, but I think you understand kind of what I'm saying is Haley is different than an impersonal force because Haley, I can talk to her. I can ask her, Haley, what should we do? Haley can say something. Haley can see something. Haley can make something. Haley can call. She can bless, right? She can help me. She can, uh, I can rest, 
when she folds, right? So here's what I'm saying is it's, it's different. Now, here's, here's the point, And I want, listen, if you're a person who's investigating Jesus or you're maybe not sure you believe in God and you're trying to figure all that out, can I just tell you something that is of pivotal, important, pivotal importance from page one in your Bible? And it's this. The Bible is going to tell you that God, God, ultimate reality, the creator of all things, listen, is knowable. You can know him. You can live according to his will. You can know his purposes. And he wants you to. You were created for this. Genesis is gonna tell us that from page one and two. This is where our story begins. It's gonna tell us something. It's gonna introduce us to God. But more than that, Genesis is gonna do even more. It's gonna introduce us most importantly to God. But it's also gonna introduce us to stuff. So we see in the beginning God. We see in the beginning God created. But we also see this, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So now we're introduced to everything. Now we're introduced to the universe. Now we're introduced to stuff. What kind of stuff? All stuff, heavens and earth stuff. Stars, planets, dirt, animals, vegetation, all of it, all of it stuff. And here's what Genesis is gonna say, and this is absolutely unique to any other worldview. Genesis is gonna say this. It's gonna say that stuff was created good. And I'm just telling you, this is so unique to any other worldview. Genesis is going to say that everything is actually created good. It was created good and on purpose and on purpose. In fact, I want you to notice if you glance down at your Bible, one of the statements that's repeated over and over again in Genesis 1 is it's going to say, God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. After each step of creation, God is going to pause and he's going to look and he's going to say, that's pretty good. That's good. And then when he gets to man and woman, he's gonna create them. He's gonna say, wow, that's very, very good. Now, here's why this is so important. It's because this is so distinct to Genesis. This is so distinct to the biblical worldview. Some of you maybe have heard this before, but over the course of the last, I don't even know how many years, archeologists have discovered a bunch of creation accounts. And so there's a, there's a ton of ancient creation accounts that are out there. Maybe you've heard about this before. So there's an early Mesopotamian creation account called the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, there's an early Babylonian creation account that's called the Enuma Elish. And uh, basically, when they started finding all these creation accounts, they actually used it as a way to discount Genesis. And so they said, well, you see, Genesis is just one creation myth among all these other creation myths. How do we know that we can believe any of them? They're all just mythology. But then they actually read these other creation myths and they came back and they said, we take it back. Genesis is a worldview of its own. Genesis is entirely different than anything else we've ever read. And here's why. Because Genesis says that everything was created good. All of the other ancient uh, narratives about creation talk about how basically the world came as a result of brutality and war from the gods behaving badly. So I'll just give you an example. The Enuma Elish, like I mentioned just a minute ago, basically the creation account in the Enuma Elish talks about this god, his name is Marduk. So Marduk's apparently like one of the big dude gods. And uh, anyway, in the creation account, uh, he, he rides into this epic battle Riding, get this, he comes in riding two steeds, and one's name is Slaughter, and the other one is named Merciless, right? Sounds just like a heavy metal band. And he comes in 
riding slaughter and merciless, and then he gets in a war with the goddess Tiamat, and he throws a spear through her. He disenmembers her body, and out of her disenmembered body, he creates the heavens and the earth. In fact, let's just read a little bit from the Enuma Elish here, just for some uh, soft-hearted reading. Uh, here we go. This is, this is it. It says, The Lord Marduk trod on the legs of Tiamat. With his unsparing mace, he crushed her skull. He split her like a shellfish into two parts. Half of her he set up as a covering for heaven. The other half of Tiamat's body he made for the land. When I read this, I thought, Babylonian Sunday school must have been awesome. <laughs> awesome. Can you guys imagine the flanograph for this? I just can't even imagine how that would work. But I'm just telling you, this is one... And if you read the other creation accounts, they're also similar. It is coincidence, it is chance, it is brutality. Genesis comes in and says something that's so unique. It says that the world doesn't begin brutal. The world begins good. Creation is intentional and it's purposeful and it's good. It is created willfully and deliberately by a benevolent God who intended things originally to be good. So we see that first off, stuff is good. But then we also see stuff was created with a goal. When God made everything, that it wasn't a coincidence, that it wasn't a happy little accident, that it was all intentional and it was all purposeful and God had a goal in mind. He had a goal. This is actually reflected in a couple places. You'll notice if you look at Genesis again, uh, you'll notice that it talks about how everything was created in basically a six six uh, day period of time. That's what the Bible's gonna talk about. And so there's these six periods of time that are called days. And each day, what you notice when you read it is that each day corresponds with another. So day one, two, and three, you see God forming things. And day four, five, and six, you see God filling what he formed. And so in day one, two, and three, God creates dwellings. In day four, five, and six, he creates inhabitants for those dwellings. And it's really interesting when you read it because what is it telling us? Here's what it's telling us. It's telling us that God created everything intentionally and purposefully. He had a purpose in mind. It was calculated, it was intentional, it was purposeful, it was not accidental. Another thing I think is really interesting is again, if you notice how many times God declares things are good, this is really significant. And the reason is because there's been some people who have looked at that and they've said, when God said that it was good, that means that it was morally good, that it was a moral declaration. And so some people have said that, that basically God is saying it's good and it's not evil. However, uh, most commentators would say that that's probably not the case, that when God says it's good, he's actually probably talking about functional goodness. So what do I mean by that? All right, well, let's just say, for example, that I was gonna go build a birdhouse, all right, which I've never done in my life, but let's just, for illustration's sake, let's say I went to go build a birdhouse. So I went into my wood shop, which I don't have a wood shop, but this is all illustration, so it doesn't matter. So let's say I went into my wood shop to build a birdhouse, and, I, and I'm, you know, it's gonna be a house for birds. So I actually have specific birds I'm thinking about that are gonna dwell this house. So let's say I get a piece of wood, I'm gonna make a roof. And so I, get, I start cutting this piece of wood, and after I'm done cutting it, I look at it, and I say, ah, that's not good, and I throw it away. Now, am I making a moral declaration about by the people? Am I saying this piece of wood is evil? It belongs with the Steelers. I'm throwing it in the trash. Like, no, no, I'm saying it's, it's functionally not good. It's not good for my purpose. Now, let's say I take another piece of wood, I cut it, and I say, wow, that's really good. I've outdone myself. That's real good. Am I saying this is morally superior? No, I'm saying this is good for my purpose. This is good for my purpose. God declares in each step, this is good. This is good. This is good. And it makes us ask the question, good for what? Good for what? 
What's the goal? What's the purpose? And here we see it, that the purpose is that God is gonna, there's probably many, but the purpose is that God is creating a place where life can thrive and flourish. He is creating a place that is home for humans. And I gotta tell you this, I gotta tell you that this teaching that the earth was specifically designed as home for human beings to interact with God fits very, very well with what physicists and cosmologists call the fine tuning of the universe. Maybe you've heard about that before. The fine tuning of the universe is basically a recognition that there, are, there is such precise, precise, precise um, uh, different sp- specifics that need to be in place for life to exist and to thrive here on this earth. Basically, the, the, the idea of the fine-tuning of the universe says that the laws, the constants, and the initial conditions of the universe are to be exquisitely finely tuned for the possibility of life to exist. And again, without getting too much into this, I was referencing a book this past week. It was a book called The Emperor's New Mind by Roger Penrose. And he actually threw this number out, and this was so staggering to me. He said that in order for life to be here on this planet, he said the chances and the precision that would be needed for that to occur would be one to 10 to the 10th power to the 123rd power. Now, I'm just telling you, I don't even know if I'm saying that number right. Some of you are math people and you're like, well, technically that's not the right way to say it. I don't know how to say it, okay? But here's, here's my point, here's my point. This number is so big, this number is so big. Roger Penrose actually said that this number will be, if you put the number one and then you followed it up with as many zeros as there are particles in the known universe, he says, you still wouldn't be there. This number is huge. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, so you're telling me the chances that life would just happen here on earth is one in 10 to the 10th, the 123rd power. That's what you're telling me. And to quote Lloyd Christmas, so you're telling me there's a chance, right? (laughs) Yeah! And uh, no, the point is, the point is, There's no chance. This is not chance. And Genesis is gonna come in and say that's exactly right because God created everything. He created it good and he created it. He created it with a purpose. He created it with a goal in mind. And so this actually leads to the third thing because God, you know, Genesis is gonna tell us something about God. He's gonna tell us something about stuff. But then when you get to the crown jewel, Genesis is gonna tell us about us. Genesis 1 is gonna do something that's so amazing and it is going to introduce us to our origin story. It's going to tell us why and how we were created and what our purpose is. Genesis is not just gonna introduce us to God. It's not just gonna introduce us to stuff. It's gonna introduce us to us. And it's gonna orient us to the beginning of our story. Why are we here? And what's the purpose for the reason in which God has put us here? And you actually notice in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, you get to the crown jewel of creation. God creates all things. And then in verse 26, he gets to humankind. And he says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. And look at this. And God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. And so here you see, in very simple terms, the creation of humanity. But what I want you to notice, and what Genesis is saying here is so profound, because what it's saying is that you and I, that you and I are created. The Bible's gonna say that. Just like stuff, we're created. 
that you and I are made from the same stuff of the earth. We are made from the same stuff of the universe. We are physical, absolutely. But the Bible is actually going to say something else. It's gonna say, while we are created like stuff, we are also not like anything else that's created. And we are different. And why are we different? Because the Bible says that we are unique in that we are created in the image of God. Theologians call this the Imago Dei. It is the, the teaching and the belief that you and I bear, bear a unique a unique worth and a unique dignity above everything else in all creation. Because stamped within us, every human being whom you have ever gazed upon on planet Earth contains within them an elevated dignity and worth above anything else in all of creation. Above the animals, above the plants, above the mountains, above the galaxies. Because there's something unique about us. We are made in the image of God. There's been a lot of people who have asked, what exactly does that mean that we're made in the image of God? And I got to tell you, there are so many books written on that topic. And it means so much, probably even more than we understand. But I can tell you, it means at least two things. According to the book of Genesis, it means at least two things. And what does it mean? Well, first off, it means that we were created to rule. That's actually exactly what Genesis says. God said, let us make mankind in our image so that they may rule. They may rule over the earth, over the animals, over vegetation. Now, let me just clarify here because this is oftentimes misunderstood. Sometimes people think when we read rule, that means dominate and domineer. And that's not what it means. A better way to understand rule is it's the idea of stewardship. It's stewardship. That God made the world and he made everything and then he created mankind in his image and he gave them managerial power over that which he created. You know, it's interesting. If you look at Genesis 1, what do you see God doing? You see God uh, creating. You see God cultivating. You see God naming stuff, right? He's calling it day. He's calling it night. What do you see God doing? You see him arranging things so that human life can flourish. That's what you see him doing. And then he creates mankind in his image. And in the next chapter, what do you see man doing? Here's what you see man doing. Man is creating. Man is cultivating. He's gardening. He's, they're naming stuff, naming the animals. They are arranging things so that flourishing can happen, so that, so that life on earth can flourish and be sustained. This tells us part of why we're created. Part of why we're created is because we're image bearers. We bear the image of God and God has stewarded to us that which he has created, that we could bring it into flourishing for the betterment of each other and the betterment of the world in which we live in. And so we see that. But number two, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means this too. It means that we are created to relate. We're created to rule because we're made in the image of God. We're created to relate because we're made in the image of God. Let me show you something that's puzzled people for a very long time. It says, then God said, let us, now this is so significant. Then God, singular, said, let us make mankind in our image. Now, a lot of people have really been perplexed by that, but many theologians would say that this might be one of the first references to the Trinity in all of the Bible, that God is one, but God himself exists within community. And because we are made in the image of God, that means that we are created, male and female, we are created for community. 
In other words, part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we were made to relate. We were made to relate to God and we were made to relate to each other. And here's what this means, because this is so profound. It means this, it means that you and I cannot be who we were fully created to be apart from having a right relationship with God and apart from having a right relationship with each other. If you're a person who lives in isolation and you're not deeply connected with other people, you cannot be who God fully created you to be. This is why we do things like life groups. This is why we, 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 we have the value of sharing life together because we're made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God means that we were made for community because God himself exists in community. And the other thing it means is it means that we were created to be in a right relationship with God. And if, if we don't know God and, and, and have a right relationship with him, we can never fully be who we were created to be. Listen, that's important because some of you in this room, I know some of you, maybe you've never had a relationship with God. And some of you, maybe you're in this room and maybe you've drifted from your relationship. Maybe your relationship with God is cold and stagnant and stale. And listen, what Genesis is telling us is something so important. It's telling us that you cannot be who you fully were created to be without being in a right relationship with him because you were created to relate. You know, oftentimes we try to make God in our image. But the Bible says you're never gonna understand who you are until you look to him first because you're created in his image, in his image. So the Bible's gonna tell us something of incredible, uh, that we are of incredible worth and dignity because we're created in the image of God. I love the way C.S. Lewis said it. He said it this way. He said, there are no ordinary people. Because we're made in the image of God, there's no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal. Every man, every woman, every child that you ever, ever looked into their face bears the image of their creator. Some would argue, many worldviews would argue that we are just some more advanced animal. That basically we are just like our animal ancestors. We're just more sophisticated. And Genesis would look and say, that is a gross degradation of what humanity is truly intended to be. We are so much more precious and valuable than that. Many worldviews would look and say, we're just consequence, that's it. We're all the product of chaos. And the Bible would say, no, 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 no. We are created on purpose and we are created for purpose. And that means that you are deeply valued and you are deeply worth, worth, worthy to God because stamped within you is his image. I think what Genesis does is the creation account gives us the ultimate context for the human experience. Did you ever notice this? Whenever Jesus or the biblical authors talk about issues of um, things like human dignity, Whenever Jesus or the biblical authors talk about things like marriage or gender or sexuality, do you know where they always refer back to every single time? They always go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Why are they doing that? Because they said, in the beginning, this is the way it was supposed to be. It is really hard to understand your Bible without understanding where we came from in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis answers the big questions, the big questions, like why is there something rather than nothing? Why are we here? Do you matter? And what Genesis is gonna say is that you are here on purpose and you are here with a purpose. Genesis is gonna tell us that you are not the result of some cosmic conflict. You are not created by the universe. You are created by God. And you are created in love, for love, by love. That's what the scripture is going to tell us. I'll tell you what I love too. I love how it ends. The creation story ends this way, Genesis 2, 25. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. 
And that's how the creation account closes down before you get into Genesis chapter three. And I'll tell you why I love this. I think this is one of the most beautiful uh, sentences in all the Bible. Because what do you see? Here you see humankind fully exposed. You see them completely comfortable in their own skin. You see them completely transparent with themselves, with each other, with the world, and with God. And the Bible tells us that in this scene, there's total peace. There's total peace. And look at this. And they felt no shame. There's no shame. There's no guilt. Can you just imagine with me for a minute? No shame. Can you imagine this kind of peace? Completely exposed, completely transparent, completely confident in who God created you to be completely comfortable with others, with God, with yourself, with the world. And this, the Bible's gonna say this, this is what we were created for. Genesis 1 and 2 is gonna tell us this is what God intended when we were first created, when the story first began. And what this also does is it confirms a deep suspicion, I think, that every single one of us has, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. And here's the deep suspicion I believe that you have. It's that when you look at the world and when you look at others and when you look at yourself, you realize that things are not like they're supposed to be. This world is not like it should be. I am not like I should be. And Genesis is gonna say that suspicion in your heart is accurate and it's true because this is what we were created for. This is what God made us for. And so it begs the question, what went wrong? What went wrong? And that's what we're gonna talk about next week. What went wrong? And how did this all break? How do we get back here? And how did we get away from here? And I'll tell you the best part of the story. The best part of the story is the Bible's gonna say that one day, the same word, who created the universe. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same word, the same God, whose ultimate reality, the same word who created all things, the Bible's gonna say that one day that word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. But I'm getting way ahead of myself. That's in weeks to come. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I'm thankful that you didn't leave us here completely disoriented without any way to know where we came from or where we're going. But God, you have, you have provided for us through revelation. You have provided us a way that we can understand, a way that we can see. Father, it's clear. We see that this world isn't what it ought to be. And there's a big piece of me, God, when I'm reading these chapters, when I'm reading these early chapters, Oh, there's a big piece of me that's just like, man, I want that. That looks awesome. And, uh, and Lord, I'm so thankful that we aren't, we aren't the byproduct of some kind of cosmic you know, warfare or chaotic brutality, but that we, we, we are the product of a benevolent, loving God who created things on purpose. And, and I'm so thankful for that. And God, I just pray for all of us. You know, I know that uh, some, some in here maybe are trying to determine whether or not... Um, whether or not they actually want to begin a relationship with you or not. But Father, we just wanna pray. We wanna ask you right now, God, that if this is true, if you are ultimate reality, if you're the thing behind everything, if you are eternal, if you are the creator, if you're the power behind it all, and if you're personal, we wanna know you. We wanna know you. The, 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 we wanna know your will. We wanna know what you want. And we wanna live like that. We wanna live according to that. 
So thank you that you're knowable. Thank you that you would care enough to reach out to us so that we could know you. And so I pray, God, that you would, uh, yeah, that you would just let these words penetrate into our hearts, that we would remember what you created from the beginning, and that that would challenge and shake us to the core, that it would redefine the way we view ourselves, the way we view you, the way we view the world, and the way we view others. And so, Father, as we worship and sing, we just want to thank you for what you created for your goodness. We pray these things in Jesus' name.